Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. That's Scott Powell you're listening to. And that's Father Peter over there. We are the Lanky Guys, communal, collective, communal, uh, corporately. Corporately. Either way, together. together. Oh. All right. Corpus. Corporate. Is that Corporate. what you're going yeah, there? Yeah, okay. yeah, I was, I was yeah, trying to corpus. look deeper than that. Yeah, man. This, this is how I roll. This is, uh, we're getting ready for the Feast of Corpus Christi. I do like, I think you mentioned this. Talk to me. How, uh, <laughs> even after the Easter season ends with Pentecost, we still roll in with the feasts, right? Every Sunday. I mean, like, dude, it's like the massive feast. It just like, keeps coming. They keep on coming. Although, it's is like, this the last one? Yeah. For a while? <laughs> well, live it up. Because then it's just ordinary time from here on out. Ordinary. Dude, I know a family, um, namely the McDevitts, and they oh. only let their, have kid, their kids have sweets on feast days. Really? That's really wild. They must not have any cavities. No. Unless on feast days they eat nothing but sweets. Which is all the, sweets which from is morning the, until evening. Yeah, I, I don't know. Then I have a feeling of this. I have a feeling of this. It would not let that happen. No, but Sean might. Sean would ha- let that say. happen. Sean would g- get in on that action, is yeah. what I know. Actually, no, he's all virtuous. Like he's becoming saintly. He's all virtuous. Look at that. It's a built in shout out to the yeah. whole McDevitt family. Yeah, what's up, McDevitt's? Um, that I that was not, not that was not, not how I meant to way. say that. McDevitt. <laughs> so I was trying to like be like cool in like dad speak. We all know what you were trying to do, and then it <laughs> then it came out really bad. It came out yes. Well, you guys, uh, we're jumping into the feast of Corpus Christi. Di- Corpus what? Christi. Okay. What did I say? Christi. Christi. Yeah. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. All right, we should jump into the readings. Yep. Right. Our first reading is coming from the book of Exodus. Chapter 24, verses 3 through 8. Then we have Psalm 116. So we do. 12 to 13, 15 to 16, 17 to 18, with the responsorial from verse 13. (laughs) Verse what? 13. I hiccuped. That's all right. You're allowed to hiccup. Our second reading is coming from Hebrews. Hold on, dude. What did you have for breakfast today? Uh, Honey nut Cheerios. Oh, okay. Just checking. All right. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. I like just letting that sit there. <laughs> Somehow it makes me feel good inside. I know. Me too. It's like you've been with the podcast a long time when you don't even need us to say anything. Or so you- our gospel is Mark 14, yep. 12 to 16, jumping all the way to 22 to 26. Well done. Yeah, dude. That's like I learned it by watching you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Very good. Okay, so we, we're starting with Exodus 24. Yeah. And uh, Exodus 24, this is, um, actually, this is a really profound scene and a very important scriptural scene for okay. setting us up for what's going to happen in the New Testament. So basically, to put, uh, to put it in context, Moses has just, so where are we? We're in chapter 24. So a couple chapters before was when they were released from, Exodus, from slavery in Egypt, right? The crossing of the Red Sea, that whole thing. And then I think, I'm wanting to say it was chapter 16. No, I think it's chapter 19. Nope, that's not right either. Uh, Chapter 20, (laughs) right? So (laughs) a couple chapters before was when Moses is up on the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments, okay? Okay. So he receives the Ten Commandments. He just did four chapters prior. Uh, The Lord gives a number of commands, basically, basically commentary on the Ten Commandments. Here are the Ten Commandments. This is who I want you to be as a people. You've just been set free from your slavery. You've been released 
from your exile, and now I'm going to make you into my people. I'm going to make you into a new kind of people. I'm going to give you this promised land, and I'm trying to form you. And so he's giving them sort of a constitution to live by, right? The Ten Commandments, this is who you are. The Ten Words, as we were talking about. The Ten Words, yeah, exactly right. And then he, he gives a little bit of commentary on them, how we should treat one another with, you know, laws about justice and how you're to act toward one another. And then in chapter 24, there's this sort of binding covenantal moment where the people are asked basically, okay, you've heard what the Lord has asked of you. Are you willing to undertake this? Are you willing to take these words on as your, this is what the Lord has asked. Are you willing to say yes to it? And so it says in the reading we get when Moses came to the people and related all the words and the ordinances of the Lord, they all answered with one voice, we will do everything that the Lord has told us. In other words, we're committing to this. This is, we will follow these things. That's who we are. And Moses wrote down all the words that the Lord said, and rising early the next day, he erected at the foot of the mountain an altar with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent these young men from the Israelites to offer this animal sacrifice, um, Holocaust, sacrifice young bulls, and peace offerings to the Lord. By the way, this is um, in the story of salvation history before the time of like systemic ritualistic animal sacrifice. Okay. And I think at this point, they're still... I like how you say st- systemic. Systemic, as a, yeah. Because it's like systematic. It, yeah, I mean, way to put it. You no, know, that's right. It's like, but but there's some something that's like uh, as soon as you say systemat- systemic, systemic. Once you say it's systematic, it's uh, it feels bad. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it it is, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not the fullness of it yet. No. And, and at this point, what they're doing because they're it's not you know the the formalized commands yet. What God is doing is really still trying to purge Egypt out of... So there's this mantra, right, that we like to say. In the Exodus story, it wasn't enough to get Israel out of Egypt. God needed to get Egypt out of Israel, right? God needed to get Egypt out of Israel. God needed to get Egypt out of Israel. That's a mantra. Oh, I see. I see what you did. I thought you were just trying to understand it. No, you're just like, I'm just repeating it. I'm, I'm just doing it as you told me. Well done, man. But in Egypt, their lifestyle was worshiping these animals as gods. Right. And so what they're being asked to do... Now, they've already done it in a pretty profound way with the Passover in publicly sacrificing one of Egypt's gods and then publicly putting the blood, the evidence of this capital crime on their doorposts, basically saying, look, we are purging ourselves of this sin, this idolatry. We will not serve these these gods anymore. Right. But it's not still all out. They... They have to sort of keep this up. They have to build the habit in a certain sense of, you know, sin becomes habit. And so we have to habitualize ridding ourselves from sin, right. especially when we have those sins that are just perpetual and they just keep coming. We have to ritualize saying no to them. Right. Right. And finding these. It's on, I mean, people have done a lot of brain science on, you know, you have to reshape your brain against doing these bad habits that we fall into. Mm. And so they have to keep doing this or like it's not enough to do this once this one-time deal where they where they say no to their sinful idolatry, they've got to keep doing it to show that, no, we really want to rid ourselves of this. So they sacrifice these animals, which are Egyptian gods. And it says, Moses took half the blood and put it in large bowls, and the other he splashed upon the altar. So um, he splashes. I mean, it, this is a weird scene. He built an altar, takes a bunch of animals that are sacrificed to the Lord— as an offering to him, splashes a bunch of splashed. Isn't that a, <laughs> like just splashed. as far as visceral words, he splashed the blood on the altar. I, was, just, I mean, I was making lunch was for you today and say. I splashed all this hot oil over my left arm. I want I hopefully the blood wasn't hot. It was just blood. 
That was that just got weird. <laughs> well, because the hot I oil, splashed the cooking oil. hot blood all over my arms in preparation for this <laughs> podcast. And then he took the blood. They took the book of the covenant, the blood of the co- the book of the, <laughs> the covenant. blood of the covenant. So Wait, the commandments that is blood of the covenant. It is really. And he read it aloud to the people. So he read the commandments again, and they answered, "All that the Lord has said, we will heed and we will do." Right. And it says he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people, saying, "This is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words of His." So in other words. What's happening in this moment is that these animals are sacrificed to the Lord. These animals that represent are turning away from sin and turning back to God. This right. is who we are. Half the blood is then placed on the altar in a, in a sense of giving that to God. This represents God. The rest of it is actually poured onto the people. And the idea is we are sharing blood relationship with the Lord. So there's, there's two things that are happening. It's number one. It's as close as the people could get at that time period, that stage of salvation history, of sharing lifeblood with God. Mm. It wasn't God's blood, but it was blood from animals offered to God. Half of it was shared with God. Half of it was shared with us. So it was as close as we could get with, uh, as close as we could get to sharing the blood relationship with God. Well, pour this on us, showing that we are tied to you. We are family. We are blood relatives with you in a certain sense. But the other thing it's doing. Well, hold on. But what about all the kosher laws that prevent? Those haven't, none of those have happened yet, okay. by the way. Okay, good to know. They will. You mean the consuming of blood? Yeah. They're not eating any of this blood. They're just pouring it on themselves. Pour some <laughs> blood on me. <laughs> but, you, but you're right. I mean, later on in Leviticus, it will, there will be very specific prohibitions about eating blood, even to the degree that they can't have super rare steak because if there's any blood in it, you can't consume that. And the idea was for the Israelites, you, you, the blood was the life of an animal. Right. And so this particular blood was already given to the Lord. So it shared in the Lord's life. And so it was shared with us. But later on, you, you can't consume animal blood because it's this mantra that your, your mom always taught you, right? You are what you eat. So like, well, you if we, are what you eat. So if we, is it all mantras all Get day? Out all of mantras all Egypt day. out of Israel. <laughs> so if you, if you ate the blood of an animal, you become like that animal. Which is precisely why, when it comes to the new covenant, not only can we drink Jesus' blood, but we actually have to. Because I don't want to become like a bull or like a cow eating my steak with its blood. You don't want to be that, but I do want to be like God. So we're allowed to share the blood of Jesus because we want that life to be within us. Because we are what we eat. So we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing that's going on here is what's called uh, a self-maledictory oath. Have you ever heard that? Have we talked about it on the podcast before? Cross my needle, yeah. stick a pin in my eye. <laughs> well said. Um, cross Malum. my heart. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. If yeah. I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I don't think that's one. Oh, hold on. <laughs> you're just rattling off <laughs> children. Children's things. Yeah, no self maledictory oath means if I don't fulfill this, then then whatever I'm oathing myself to, that may it be done unto me according to your word. Yeah. So so killing these animals and then taking the blood on ourselves is basically saying, hey, if I'm not faithful to what I said I'm going to do, may I be like these animals that are sacrificed. Right. Malum is the Latin word that means evil. So self maledictory basically says, if I don't do what I have vowed, may this evil befall me, right? That kind of a thing. So cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. If I'm not faithful to what I just promised, says little kid us. I cut my heart into in four eye. pieces. What? That's, cross, that's creepy. Cross my heart. Oh, cross my heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I actually had never thought about cross my heart. You're I, actually doing I know, the sign of the cross. My, da- my dad said that I was not allowed to say that. I think that's a good advice from dad. 
Yeah, dad. Because because the self maledictory oath actually had authority in a certain in a certain context, right? And, and the reason we bring all these things up, all of this, so the sharing of the blood, the um, asking that this evil befall us if we're not faithful, all of these things are prefiguring and preparing and pointing the way to what Jesus is ultimately going to do. Because all of these things are imperfect. It's not quite, you know, if you're if you're pouring the blood of a goat on yourself and on an altar, it's not really sharing God's life. It's kind of a symbol of it and an imagery of it, but it just feels like, well, is this is this as good as it gets? Is this as much of God's life as we can share? I know. Is is this working? Is this yeah. th- is this thing on? <laughs> is this thing on? And it does work, and we trust that God is faithful because He's asked this of His people, but it's not where He ultimately wants them to be. It's leading to something, right? Right. Which I think is a good segue into the responsorial psalm. And what, what they're doing, so the response we get in verse 13 here, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord, which is precisely what Moses and the people are doing in the book of Exodus. This is, um, yeah, Scott Hahn is, is great. He has a whole book about oaths and what oaths mean and, and where they come from and why we should be really careful with making oaths and things like this. But I will take the cup of salvation. They took the bowls of blood which represented the salvation that God gave them. It represents, it's not God's life, but it represents sharing in God's life. So they're taking this cup of salvation and what are they doing? They're calling upon the name of the Lord. So as they're swearing this oath saying, all of these things that we will do, Uh we actually have an oath formula that we use in our modern culture. And we say, so help me God. Which is actually what we say in a courtroom when we're swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, truth, nothing nothing about about the truth. truth. So help me God. Which I don't think we we fully catch the cadence of that. It's saying, I'm promising to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So God, help me. Right. So help me, God, to do this thing that I'm promising to do. And that's in a certain sense, that's at least what Israel is supposed to be doing. As they're saying, all of these things we promise we will do. So, Lord, we recognize our frailty. We recognize we're not good at keeping our promises. So help us. Right. And so the response, the responsorial psalm is the is the icing on that cake saying, I'm going to take this, this blood. I'm going to take these oaths, these vows, this life that I'm trying to share with God. And I'm going to call on his name because I know I can't do what I'm supposed to do by myself. Yes. So help me, God. That's what the response is supposed to be, this refrain of this mantra, right? Mm. How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he's done for me? And you can imagine saying that in the time of the Exodus. And the answer is, I can't. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to help me to keep moving forward. Because I can't possibly repay you for all that you've done for me. And so, I'm going to take up the cup of salvation. I'm going to call on your name, not on my name. Which is the opposite of what Israel does for most of the rest of the story of the Old Testament. They call on their own name, yeah. and they fall flat on their faces. Yep. But the intent is, no, take the cup of salvation, make your vow, but then call on his name to help you to do it. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's where we are. And that takes us to Hebrews. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm not feeling very caffeinated this morning. Uh. Oh, we can tell the people it's morning. That's fine. <laughs> oh, I get what you're... I didn't... Uh, I, I see Okay, so when this is great because what we're seeing is all of these scriptures leading us towards um, the solemnity of Jesus in His body and blood. Right, and these are all of the things. I mean, it's it's so funny if you read. I'm just talking to. Oh, I want to give a shout out to the whole staff, the brand new staff of Camp Witiwa for the Camp Witiwa. Who are all up in Jamestown. Um, start, they just showed oh, up yeah, two normally, days ago. Don't we do this live up there? Sometimes we do. And we still could do a, a live podcast at some point. Yeah, well, let's do that sometime this summer. I think that'd be great. But we have begun to go through the story of salvation history. And what I love about going through the story of Scripture is 
all of these things that it, the Old Testament is just a weird reality. And if you've ever tried to like plow through and read the Old Testament, there's so many things that are weird. But the beauty of it is that the scripture loves to interpret itself. Yes. And so we find the answers to all the questions of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And Hebrews is actually a great example of that. I actually love the book of Hebrews because it is, to put it in context for a second, I feel like maybe we've talked about it before. Hebrews is not properly speaking a letter. The author, and we don't know who the author is. It's left anonymous. Some people say Paul. I actually think Timothy might have written it, um, but there's the jury's out on that. It's left anonymous. But it calls itself not a letter, but a word of exhortation. It's a word of encouragement to a people who are getting really beat up, specifically, specifically the Hebrew specifically. people, <laughs> the Jewish people probably living in the Holy Land in the decades after Jesus, which think about this for a second. What's happening in Jerusalem and in the Holy Land in the time just after Jesus? Well, the it's whole, gotta be such upheaval, man. Well, the whole nation's preparing for war, right? This is part of Jesus' whole ministry is dissuading people from taking up arms against the Romans and against Caesar, trying to say, No, that's not your real enemy. Your real enemy is the evil one. See, he, you know, this is just a symptomatic of it. But the whole nation is preparing to go to war with Rome, which they're going to lose. So now imagine you know, it's one thing to be a brand new believer, but imagine that you're a believer of Jesus Christ living in Jerusalem or Judea. All of your neighbors, all of your family members, your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters, maybe even your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers, everybody is preparing to fight Rome to defend the holy city and defend the temple because, of course, there's no separation in the ancient world between, you know, church and state, so to speak. Because no, of course not. Because standing up and fighting against a political power is standing up for God. But imagine you're a Christian now. And you believe in Jesus Christ. And you know that Jesus said, no, when you see wars and rumors of wars, you're to actually flee to the hills. You're not to fight this fight. And you're to pray for your persecutors. You're to forgive your enemies. You're to turn the other cheek when they slap you. You're When the Roman soldiers force you to carry their bag, you're to carry it two miles instead of just one. And so all of a sudden, you're, the, you're not just the, the weirdo. You are the treasonous coward who is not willing to fight against the nation of Rome. Because your Jesus said, you got to love them and pray for them and run away when the war comes. And I just, I, I know a lot of us have probably faced persecution from our family or confusion or who knows what it is. And the faith is hard to live out, but it's hard to put a, to quantify how hard that suffering would be. And then to think to yourself, man, I mean, you're living in the decades after Jesus. And you're like, well, okay, so Jesus said that he's the new lamb, but... He's not really here, and it looks like bread. And he also said he's the high priest in the temple, which I kind of get, but what now? And he's like, well, so Jesus is the high priest, but he's off in heaven where I can't see him. But I do see Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, and he's got a physical stone and mortar temple that I see and understand. But Jesus said he's kind of a temple Actually, somehow. Actually, there was no mortar in the temple. Just stone then. <laughs> Something stuck it together. No. Nothing stuck it together? No. No, that was actually one of the marvels of the ancient world is that it was a temple built with no mortar. All right, fair enough. Because the stones Stone were so them. perfectly fit. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I'm just... I'm is just... this the second temple, though? Oh, I don't know. Solomon's temple had no mortar. I do know that. Anyway, Dude, but, but there's a physical reality. Yeah, and then, but now we have mortars, and we can shoot them at temples <laughs> with no mortar. Jeez. 
But I just, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting reflection to think just how hard that would be. And so why this word of exhortation is written is to show those people who are maybe getting ready to throw in the towel and being like, man, this is too hard. I can't wrap my brain around this. Mm. I get the Jewish faith. I get the high priest. I get the temple. I don't I can get see this all Jesus. these things. But then yeah, I see why, this. Why, is, why is Jesus a superior reality? What's actually going on here? Yeah, because that's what this be, whole book is about. Because everything's so concrete before the of all of the worship, all of these things, yes. when it's like, and then there's this kind of, it's concrete, <laughs> but it's there's still a real abstraction to the Christian faith as they're going through. They, they have relationships with each other and they have uh, like some real eyewitnesses and they have some miraculous things, but, but, but it's hard. But the t- worship in the temple is like way more uh, potent. In, yeah, in, visceral, tangible, right. whatever. Which is exactly what this reading is talking about. And so, so whoever the author is, comes, you're thrown straight in the middle of an argument, basically, where he's trying to show why if you really understood what we believe as Christians, there's no way you could go back. There's no way you could throw that away for what you used to have. Because what Jesus is and what he's done is far superior to the high priest and right. the temple in Jerusalem and everything else. Yes. And so he says, look, brothers and sisters, when Christ came as high priest— the real high priest, not just Caiaphas, of the good things that have come, then he passed through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the one not made by hands, that is, not belonging to this creation. He entered once and for all the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, obtaining eternal eternal redemption for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of heifer's ashes, can sanctify those who are defiled so that their flesh flesh is cleansed. Then how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works to the worship of God? Now, if you just pause there for a second, what the author of Hebrews just said is, hey, remember when? Remember that time when Jesus went into the tabernacle, when he passed into the Holy of Holies, and he didn't offer the blood of goats and bulls, but he offered his own blood? And they might be thinking to themselves, when in the story of the Gospels did Jesus go into the tabernacle again? Like, yeah. when did he go to the Holy of Holies? Exactly. Oh, wait, that doesn't actually happen, right? We, well, we don't see it in a concrete way. Well, because he doesn't go into that temple. Right. He doesn't right. go into that tabernacle. It's funny, you got to go back actually to Exodus again. Right. And I think it's right around where our first reading was when Moses is first commanded by God in, you know, by Sinai to build the tabernacle. And do you remember how he is instructed to build it? No. It's actually really fascinating. He's not just given you know, instructions of height and size. Mo- uh, Noah, remember, was just given basically facts like, and figures. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, here's how big it should here's be. Here's some this. numbers. Yeah, Moses isn't given just numbers. He's taken up into heaven, and God shows him the heavenly temple. Absolutely. And he says, hey, I want you to build essentially a model of this. Like, pay attention, look around, commit it to memory, brah. Build one of those. Right. Which means the earthly temple was always a model of something far greater. And so the author of Hebrews is like, no, Jesus went through the real one, not the model, not the blueprint, the real thing in heaven. And he didn't offer blood of goats and heifers and bulls like they did in the Exodus story, which was good and efficacious, but it wasn't enough. Right. He offered his body. And that's why at the beginning here, it says to cleanse our consciences from dead works. Well, what are the dead works? Well, everything in the old covenant was about death and blood. And it was hard. I mean, you know, the, 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 the book of Leviticus, the ways that it tells you that the high priest has to sacrifice these animals. I mean, it's just death, 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 death everywhere. And the New Testament is saying, and Jesus came to fulfill all of that, not to obliterate it because it was all pointing to him. It was good. It actually taught us. It taught us to want 
a sacrifice that would do better than that, that was fuller, that was more richer and more total than those. And that's what Jesus came to do as the real high priest in the real temple with the eternal sacrifice, not blood and goats, but himself. And now it says, for this reason, he's now a mediator of a new covenant since death has taken place for deliverance, transgressions into the first covenant. So, I mean, it was great. What what the author is essentially saying is, hey, it was awesome when Moses poured all that blood on you guys in the Exodus time. And that was good and it was real and it was true. But it was all just setting you setting you up for something greater. So don't mistake the don't mistake the appetizer for the main course. Don't fill up on the bread in a certain sense, right? Yeah, because there's something far. I mean, you yeah, have to, yeah, you have to be yeah, very careful, be careful about with that. that. Don't yeah. fill up on the. We got to fill up on the bread from heaven, the not, real bread, not the bread with the olive oil and the, <laughs> yeah. the stuff in the stuff. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I, I love this reading from Hebrews, though. I think it's really profound. Which and, takes us to Mark. Well, and it also it, it it just it just sets us up to say like n- like these works are important, but in all it, it, they're they again just like exactly what you're saying. They point. Yes. They point. They point forward. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Mark, and then you have you're in the all of a sudden in the shoes of the disciples who all they know are the pointers. All they know are the road signs pointing to something, but they have no idea what they're pointing to. Right. And so now here we are on the Passover, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover and Unleavened Bread are sort of these two Jewish feasts that are that occur at the exact same time. They kind of overlap. So we're at this moment when they're supposed to sacrifice the lambs for the Passover, which is, of course, the Passover itself is a remembrance of the Exodus event, going back to our first reading, right? That when this all began, when God took us out of Egypt and we sacrificed these animals, sacrificing the animals, and I mentioned this at the beginning, we can't forget. I mean, if you remember nothing else, remember the sacrifice of the animals in the Old Testament was to rid ourselves of our sin. The the blood poured out from those sacrifices was to forgive our sins. Yes, it forgave our sin, but also in the time of the Exodus, it was to deny that sin, saying, I will not do this anymore. I won't worship that. Spilling of the blood... The sacrifice of animals is always connected to the forgiveness of sins. This is simply something that's part of the Jewish mindset. It's ingrained in them, mm. such to the fact that, such to the extent that when Jesus shows up and he's like, "Yeah, the pouring of my blood," it's because I'm a new lamb and your sins are forgiven. They've been set up for thousands of years to already think and operate this way, so that when Jesus does this, they should all be like, "Oh, that didn't seem like it was totally." fulfilled before it right. seemed like that was exactly. all there was to it oh. oh and so they begin to prepare and he sends them to go and prepare the passover meal it's interesting i i think this scene is so fascinating it's he's like hey go prepare the passover they're like well where do you want to do it it's really crowded in jerusalem because there's thousands of people here on pilgrimage where are we going to find a place and jesus is like hey go into the city and you're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water follow him which tells you that whether it's miraculous or spiritually set up or Jesus actually just put in the footwork to plan this beforehand, it's all already established. It, it, he's prepared it beforehand, which is, it's almost an analogy for the much deeper image that's happening here. Mm. It's not just that the room has been prepared in advance, but the whole Passover celebration has been prepared in advance for thousands of years for what's about to happen. Just like Jesus is showing, no, you're going to see the signs. Find the guy with water. Follow him. It's already set. It's ready for you. It's been prepared, which is 
on a far deeper level what he's saying about the whole Passover, right? Yeah. Which is why I kind of like that image. Right? I do too. He's like, no, I set it up for you. And they're being shown that, I mean, they've got to be like, well, we've been with you the whole time. And like, we just got to tell him, like, how do you, how'd you do that? And he's like, I took care of you. I made sure it was all set for you. I took care of you. Mm. And in this moment, you know, throughout salvation history, as we're terrified and, and losing our land and trying to find where our home is and trying to reconcile back to God, and there's blood being spilled everywhere because the sin is so great, the Father is constantly saying, no, I got you. It's okay. Just follow me. Follow the guy with the water on his head. He'll show you the way. It's all set for you guys. Mm. It's ready. Which is so comforting because God's still, of course, saying that. that Yes. No, no, just follow me. It's all set. I got it under control. And this has become another one of my mantras over the last couple of years is that I think as Christians living in this time when the world is in this total state of upheaval and there's wars and rumors of wars again. I was listening to the, you know, the radio on the drive down from Camp Foytiwa. And again, I'm just thinking to myself, man, all I'm hearing is wars and rumors of wars. Yes. This is so profoundly biblical. And we've fallen, especially as Christians, into this mindset. We're like, man, I just don't know if good or evil is going to win in the end. I'm not sure who's going to be victorious. And it's a little terrifying because is good ever going to be victorious? And the answer, of course, is no, it already has been. Right. It's not up in the air. The wars and rumors of wars are just that. They're just they're just flutterings. And there's real bloodshed and there's real evil in the world. But Christ has already defeated it. And the only power that Satan has is to whisper in our ears and tell us, no, I'm actually in control, and these works still are dead works. That mass you go to every Sunday, just dead works. Just backwards, ignorant, fundamentalist nonsense. It's all dead works. And what Paul's saying, no, these aren't dead. What the, what the Hebrews I'm is like, saying. I'm like, hold on. Sorry. What yeah, the letter to the Hebrews is saying, no, that's not the dead works. This is life. Right. Yeah, I was, I was listening to you. I was like, I was like, Somebody get up to pause button. Beep this <laughs> guy. No, it's and it like, might have been Paul. I don't know. No, I, I, I'm just. I, I absolutely see that. Where, oh, man, we're we're just playing on a totally different level. Um, once you've drawn close to Christ, mm. um, we we don't have to be afraid of how these things go because we're not worried about whether or not we are being um, experienced as powerful. Yeah. Because we know the truths of what's already taken place and we're future oriented people. We're, you know, because really the powerful, what they're trying to do is they're trying to go through and say, see how this is inevitable. Yes, see how exactly we've, right. we already saw this and we, uh, we have our fingers on the strings and we're making and we're pulling the strings as they go along. Yeah. Versus us where we're going like, no, look how the seeds that were planted in this inadvertent and sometimes difficult way to see are coming to fruition in this wonderful, surprising way now. And how even heaven, they're even more surprising and even more wonderful. And how these seeds of truth and goodness and life are planted. And that's where yes. where it's like, no, we're not just trying to fight for some sort of title like the chosen people of God. Exactly. We're, we're just like, no, we, we've drawn close to the Jesus Christ in his most holy blood that has covered us and that we've imbibed this and taken the very life of God into ourselves. And now... Um, we're, now our consciences are actually cleansed because the true yes. lamb has given us cleansing. It's not some sort of bulls and heifers and ashes of goats, but that, um, or somehow that we've, we we're winning and that like yeah. out of this winning, then finally we get to be cool. It's, you know what <laughs> I'm saying? We're already cool. No, we're, we're fundamentally Just like your mom always told you. <laughs> you're already, you're cool in my eyes. Honey. You're already cool, honey. 
That's what Jesus is saying. You guys, so receive the Blessed Sacrament, free from mortal sin. Go to confession and uh, so that you can experience the full graces of the Blessed Sacrament this weekend and this great feast of Corpus Christi when we recognize and remember that Jesus has given us his very self and his blood and that he's really redeemed us and that we play by totally different rules. Amen to that. Well, we'll see you next week. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys, at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.